Um, my name is Eric Saltzman. I'm a uh, founder and board member of Creative Commons, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Creative Commons and more about some of the issues that uh, we're all been dealing with for the last couple of days. And um, my background, it seems like it's all converging here. I, I'm a cab ride to the airport to get here. I was in a cab with a Haitian driver, and he was telling me about his son and how proud he was that he's an engineer. This guy just arrived here about uh, 15 years ago with his kids, who were then nine. One is an engineer in bioengineering. And he guessed immediately that I was a lawyer. And I sort of said, well, I used to be a lawyer. He said, no, if you're a lawyer, you're always a lawyer. And, <laughs> and um, so um, I haven't made films for a long time. But if I've always uh, been a lawyer and can't uh, deny that one, then I also now want to say that I was a filmmaker. And um, uh, possibly uh, couldn't find enough red tape in the legal world, so moved to the world of media. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few days. Um, in uh, the 19, uh, late, in 1980, I made a uh, film about a legal case, and that was a hybrid, in a way, of um, uh, the type of hybrid we may want to talk about some more here, because it started out that the project was funded to make teaching films for law schools, and then uh, I learned to do that, and then ultimately made it this documentary film. Before that, I was an AV operator in junior high school. <coughs> <laughs> I had a pin that said AV operator. I rem really remember very well the film strips. I remember one of the movies perfectly well. Somebody's talking about how important this is or how we learn from these types of things. I remember one in Driver's Ed called Dead Right. Everybody seems to remember that film. And I, um, being an AV operator, I also, I, I did it wrong and I put the 16 millimeter film in and uh, didn't have the tensions right on the Bell and Howell projector, and I snapped the thing, and I had to splice it back together. And using the splicing machine, I cut off a bit of the tip of my finger. And I was afraid to tell the AV guy because I so wanted to keep my AV there. So I went to the nurse, and I told her, and she couldn't tell me. But um, so this has been important to me for many years. Um, this film um, was made in um, 1980, and now, as you can see. Um, I kept the rights to it. It was shown on ABC. They had the rights to a play or two. And now it's up on a, a thing called Common Content, which somehow uh, vets or, or uh, uh, collects um, open content material. And when, when I say open content, we'll get to some more definition of that. perspective, this was the first long format uh, tape news uh, project that ABC had. And a year, a year later, I made something for NET. And you saw how crude these graphics were. We had access to the hard disk 
in a big room all by itself with some cooling device. And um, we had, uh, we got 10 minutes to use it that week. It was a hard disk. It's probably, you know, some tiny fraction of uh, what we all have now on our computers. Um, does anybody need to know about how Creative Commons works? Or put it this way, or, or, are there people here who are not very familiar with how Creative Commons works? Because it's been talked about a lot. There are some, okay. So I'm going to take the liberty. It's about, this is about a two and a half minute flash video. And it explains how Creative Commons works. I'm not going to talk about Creative Commons too long, but I think it's, it's uh, worth understanding. These are Jack and Meg White, also known as the White Stripes. They're a band from Detroit. They make rock and roll without a bass guitarist. This is Steve McDonald of the veteran band Red Cross. Steve thought the White Stripes could use a bass player, so he appointed himself. He took the White Stripes' latest album, called White Blood Cells, and re-recorded it, laying a bass track down on every song. Then he released the results as MP3s on Red Cross's website. He even made up a new album cover and title, Red Blood Cells. McDonald began putting these copyrighted songs online without permission from the White Stripes or their record label. During the project, he bumped into Jack White, who gave him spoken assent to continue. It can be that easy when you skip the intermediaries. Collaboration across space and time. Creative co-authorship with people you've never met. Standing on the shoulders of your peers. It's what the internet is all about. It can be that easy when you skip the intermediaries. But couldn't it be easier still? Not many of us are liable just to bump into Jack White and get the green light. And he's not going to let just anyone play the bass over his songs in any case. But what about other artists who might want you or me to play along? Shouldn't we be able to, if they don't mind? Enter one of the Internet's most famous citizens. A face familiar the world over, a public identity rivaled only by a handful of corporate giants and global superstars, the Big Copyright C. Everyone knows what Big C stands for. Big C means all rights reserved. Big C means ask permission. Big C protects copyright owners and notifies the rest of us of their ownership. Time was when you had to put Big C on anything you wanted to copyright or else it entered the public domain. The commons of information where nothing is owned and all is permitted. You had to put the world on notice to warn them. That was Big C's job. And it was a useful one. What changed? The law. By the late 1980s, U.S. law had changed so that works become copyrighted automatically the moment they're made. The moment you hit save on that research paper, the second the shutter snaps closed, the instant you lift your pen from that cocktail napkin doodle, your creation is copyrighted, whether Big C makes a cameo or not. So suddenly, there's no quick way of knowing whether something's owned or not. The new rules may be clear about how you get to own a work. You don't have to do anything. But they say nothing at all about how you should go about announcing that you want to allow certain uses of your work. 
So what? Well, if you're a digital filmmaker whose every frame must be cleared by an army of lawyers before making the cut, or if you're in a band whose label won't let you put a song on a file-sharing network, or if you're a professor trying to put together online course materials, or if you're a DJ chasing down permission to use every snippet of song in your sonic collage, if you're one of these people, then you know, so what? We interrupt this brainstorm to call the lawyers. You drop what you're doing and call all the lawyers. You ask for permission, even to use a work whose author doesn't mind if you use it, because you have no idea what the author's intent is. You ask for permission, even to share some of your rights. Or you venture forward, unsure what your risks and rights are exactly. Or, in a haze of legal doubt, you do nothing. The bottom line, Big C is out of a job. The middlemen are not. Enter Creative Commons. Creative Commons wanted to find an easy way to help people tell the world up front that they want to allow some uses of their work. We called the experts, the U.S. Copyright Office, for advice. Their response? There's no real answer. Get creative. So we got creative. How? Our CC brand marks works that are governed by Creative Commons licenses. A set of standardized copyright licenses available free of charge on our website. We wrote these licenses so that lawyers and courts could read them. Then we translated them into a language you can read. And then we translated them into a language computers can read. Now, CC isn't meant to compete with copyright, but to complement it. It allows you to retain your copyright while granting the world permission to make certain uses of it upon certain conditions. If the big C is like a red light, then CC is a green light. If the big C says, no trespassing, the double C says, please come in. If the big C says, all rights reserved, CC says, some rights reserved. So you can use the powers of the net to find works free to share and build upon, and to invite other people to transform or trade yours so that you can get creative, not only with what you make, but how you make it available, so you can collaborate across space and time, so you can be a co-author with someone you've never met, so you can stand on the shoulders of your peers, all without asking permission, because permission has already been granted. Creative Commons. Get creative. It's easy when you skip the intermediaries. Okay, so uh, you get the idea. There are various licenses that one can choose from. And the, the stripes are basically, you can choose a non, all licenses now uh, uh, require attribution to the creator. You can choose a non-commercial license. You can choose a license that allows or doesn't allow derivative works and a few other stripes. Okay, now, as has been clear the last few days, all this is really easy. 
if you've created all the work yourself, if you're an individual or you've got a team and everybody agrees that what you're going to do is going to be put under a license of this sort. We like Creative Commons licenses because we know by now that they work, the system works, metadata attaches to them, people can search for them. There are various ways to search for work under Creative Commons, so the system works well. But what people have been mainly talking about the last few days is something, or, or the last day, is something more complicated. And that more complicated thing is, what happens when you want to take material from various sources, some material that may in your organization be legacy material, and um, uh, allow it to be used? So we've been talking about some different organizations. Um, I want to bring this one up, um, even though we're being hosted by Columbia. Here's an attempt uh, or an effort that Columbia did some years ago called Fathom. And Fathom, here's Fathom's website now. I guess it's still up there, and it still has material up there. But when Fathom got started, it was a, meant to be a, a profit center for Columbia University and Columbia's partners. And Columbia looks like put in, Columbia shut down in 2003. It's for-profit online learning designed to sell web-based courses and seminars to the public. They even had at Columbia at the time an office that was meant to support professors in building these <coughs> courses and the professors were going to share in the profits. And uh, in 2001, Columbia gave Fathom $14.9 million while the venture earned $7,000 from fees. And then after a while, they shut it down. So uh, we're, we, we are past that model. There are, of course, some private universities engaged in online learning for a fee, but the big public institutions and the small ones are not doing this anymore. Um, MIT, we've heard a big discussion about open courseware. MIT is a really um, a early um, example, and MIT goes and makes sure they, they have an operation that clears rights. They, uh, they, get, they only work with professors who want to, then, and then they clear the rights. And um, they use a Creative Commons license, which you can probably see down at the bottom here. Here's the Creative Commons license, some rights reserved. And the right and the license that Creative Commons uses um, it's is. It's 2.5, but it's going to be 3.0, I oh, think. Okay. So, uh, but anyhow, it's, it's one of the licenses. And under the following conditions you must give attribution, it's non commercial, and you must share alike. So that, mu that means you may make derivative works. MIT, this is sort of a little um, inside baseball. MIT, <coughs> oh, okay. Uh -oh. Why, why was he the only one to warn me? Why didn't the rest of you see that? Hmm. Yeah, put my links back. Um, MIT has done something <coughs> that uh, they've put under their FAQs, they've got a license that says um, uh, non-commercial share-alike, so derivative works are permitted. And they have put under their FAQs, nevertheless, that this is meant to be for um, educational use. I'll, I'm going to show you that in a minute when we get there that back up. Um, I went and looked at the, while um, 
previous speaker was talking, and went and looked at the open courseware um, consortium. And what the open courseware consortium says is that they want people to use licenses. In fact, they require, I guess, people to use licenses that uh, permit derivative works. Um, so MIT does that. The discussion we saw from the people at Columbia yesterday looks like that's a closed toolkit that doesn't allow works outside, right? So Columbia's made the choice, at least for now, that what they're doing is presenting you with a toolkit. If I understand it right, you can play whoever you are outside the university within that toolkit. Is that right? You have to log in. You have to log, you have to log in. But that toolkit is closed. So what we're now talking about are the, the various stripes of uh, openness. Real quick. Yeah. It's a small Consortium. Yeah. We're not forcing people to allow the remix. That is in our agreement that it's that it's required. But there's some who sort of don't have that culture today, and so we're allowing some to come in depending on the value. It's sort of a little bit of a judgment call, but we're sort of nurturing them with a strong recommendation. Right. Okay. So you're you're aiming to get there, and now you're urging people to do it. And most do. Almost everyone. Right. We don't want people to be scared away if they're not there yet. This is my only point of Right. Um, Creative Commons is um, about to launch a new um, a new initiative. We have now uh, Creative Commons has a sister or uh, a sister or a daughter organization called Science Commons. And now we're about to launch, with generous help from Hewlett Foundation, uh, an organization that would be called Learning Commons or CC Learn. And I want to, we spent time writing this, so I want to read it to you so, so you can hear it. Here's what the Learning Commons is going to do. And you'll see that what the Learning Commons is going to do is to, to try to coordinate um, on the technical side, on the legal side, and even on the networking side. Um, the world of open educational resources. Learning Commons will focus on removing barriers to sharing and reuse of open educational resources. Some barriers are legal. Some <coughs> open resources are licensed under widely varying terms with conditions that are restrictive, hard to understand, or mutually incompatible with those of other OER sites. There are technical barriers between OER sites designed around individual ease of use without due regard for enabling the finding, combining, and localizing materials from other open sources worldwide. And there are cultural barriers that include the absence of a network orientation toward OER. So one of the things that I've come away with in these uh, day and a half so far is that there is not yet an understanding of how open educational resources will network together. We saw at Yale they're going to be open and allow derivative works. Some others don't. But the way in which these systems will talk to each other, the way one can search across platforms, is not yet um, well worked out. And the uh, Creative Commons hopes to bring its expertise to that area.